Greetings, welcome, bienvenidos, hola, aloha, ni have namaste, konnichiwa. Where was I on that? Huh? I think I'm. I think I missed a few hellos there. I'm just trying to untangle the wires here. Can I get this right? I've only been doing it for sixteen years. <clears throat> Take two. Greetings, welcome, bienvenidos, hola, aloha, ni hao, namaste, konnichiwa, bonjour, bonjourno. Saudi corrupt, guten tak, jawi viva, cat bang, half a day, jai janendra, salam, shalom, peace, now, go vegan, peace, how, go vegan, from the new right left or new left right coast of the genetically mutated McNugget pharmaceutical vivisection prison killitary industrial corporation nation in the cheese-covered post-constitutional bankster bankrupt corruptocracy mocracy criminocracy unchallenged by meaty uh meaty food born in the nsa nra uh, usa home of uncle sam manella where they sure do eat a lot of dead animal body parts and the Wall Street-backed corporate diet of death, disease, and destruction is shoved down your throat. This is Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. And yes, everybody's against Wall Street and all the, the bankers and the banksters. Uh, everybody's against them. Well, not Obama. He's getting paid, what, $400,000 to give a speech? So... Um, so they're not really working on bringing Wall Street down, but I'm telling you, go vegan. You'll see what happens to Wall Street if we all go vegan. See what happens to the world in general. Wouldn't that be amazing? Ah, perhaps it would be heaven, the Garden of Eden. Um, so I hope you had a great Mother's Day and that you uh, took a cow out to uh, brunch or dinner. Um, who's your mother, huh? Who's your mother? Uh, whose milk do you drink, huh? So it was it's not such an easy question, huh? How brainwashed are we, huh? Why would a mother, um, who gave birth to a human child be so confused as to give that child the milk of another species? Um, I don't know. Let's see. I, I do we remember giving birth? Was it to a baby cow, huh? Um, ah, so I don't know. Then, then it becomes, oh, I think I'll, I'll give the milk to my child from, you know, a mother who's, who, a mother whose child grows to a thousand pounds, you know, with four legs and hooves, a tail and horns. Yeah. My baby, my baby deserves, uh, you know, the, the, the best, uh, you know, liquid for growing horns known to humankind or human unkind, since uh, nothing kind about milk, cow's milk. Um, yeah, so human children are nourished by the most unkind milk, and uh, you are what you eat, so there you have it. You know, that, that innocent little 
you know, that little innocent scoop of ice cream. I scream, you scream, they all scream for, we all scream for ice cream, and it's true. Um, everyone's screaming, especially Mama Cow for Baby Calf. Um, so, yeah, that uh, innocent little scoop of ice cream. The, or, you, you know, the, the fat with the suffering of every mother and baby cow. You know, that, that cheese on your pizza. You know, that a gooey melt of uh, rape and kidnapping in, uh, you know, in, in a pus, you know, in, in pus and leukemia and tuberculosis, you know, in every bite. Well, you know, very often. Uh, leukemia and tuberculosis in dairy. Probably pus in every bite, though. Um, along with urine, you know, whatever. Um, that every mother wants to, to feed her child, right? I mean, yeah. Here, baby, have some pus. Um, I don't know. You You would be totally grossed out if you went to a restaurant and ordered a glass of milk for your child and then the service person came back and you know squirted it into the glass from her breasts huh? wouldn't that be gross like ah you know but if those nipple drippings come from another animal another species you know a cow or cows huh? bring on the milk and the cheese you know the butter, the yogurt, the ice cream, and uh, yeah, look at the result of our trans species, you know, breastfed population. Something's wrong here, right? So, you know, everybody knows we're on the wrong path. Maybe it's that we're, you know, a population nourished by uh, trans species mammary secretions. Maybe. Just an idea, just just one of the things that could be going wrong, you know, and that that the dairy protein is the number one carcinogen to which Americans are exposed. Um, so uh, that's that's said by uh, that the people involved with the China study, the largest study of diet and health ever. The dairy protein, the number one carcinogen to which Americans are exposed. A lot of Americans get cancer. Um, and there's your number one carcinogen. And, you know, um, in cow's milk, there's something called insulin growth factor. It grows baby cows really fast and apparently grows tumors in people really fast, too. Um, this very unnatural substance that humans consume all their lives, not even just as babies, you know, that's pretty, pretty strange diet we have here. Pretty strange indoctrination. So I don't know. Will we, will we wake up? Will we wake up? Will mothers ever say like, Hey, I gave birth to that child. Why am I giving little, um, little Justin I used to say Johnny, but I don't know. Oh, oh, Noah, Noah. Noah's the most popular name now. Why am I giving little Noah the, the milk of a cow and other species, huh? Uh, why, why not wake up? Now, instead of waking up with cereal with added carcinogen and, and you know, oh, and a cup of coffee lightened by added liquid carcinogen, uh, toast, you know, with melted carcinogen spread on it. Huh? 
I don't know. In California, we have signs posted everywhere where there are hazardous, hazardous substances, ha- hazardous materials in the area. You know, so there there should be. You know, every carton of milk needs a ha- a hazmat warning sign next to it. You know, in the same building. Yeah. Uh, but how do you get your protein, huh? No. Any any vegans by show of hands here? Any vegans suffering from uh, protein deficiency disease? You know, crawling through the streets. You know, calling for protein, protein. I need protein. Um, well, as you know, as it turns out, uh, animal protein is deadly. The question shouldn't be how do you get your protein. It should be how do you avoid your protein? Huh. Uh, any any non-vegan suffering from protein overload disease? Huh? Animal protein is deadly for us herbivores. Humans are herbivores. Yes, we are herbivores. We're not carnivores. We're not omnivores. And if you think you are a carnivore, again, just, uh, you know, next time you're in the woods, run after a deer. Uh-huh. And uh, when you catch her, um, as if you would, uh, use your claws and fangs, you know, to to rip her apart. Uh, that would be appetizing, right? Um, and eat her raw, of course. And uh, you know, with all that hair and all the, you know, I mean, and you know, you freak out if there's a hair in the uh, bowl of soup that you order at the restaurant, right? So, but yeah, you know, you're a carnivore. You know, as a carnivore, you you should look look at hair as a salad, right? I mean, that's what should be oh and that quote again i one of these days i will go to the archives at goveganradio.com and listen to t colin campbell on this program because he did say see i i'm i'm quoting on the um you know i'm giving the benefit of the doubt i'm saying he did say at least 80 percent of fatal degenerative disease is caused by animal protein and not much of it i think he may have said at least 90 percent but um I'm going to stick with the 80% right now just until I actually go and listen to, and I tell myself I'm going to do, I start to do it and then the phone rings and, you know, I just, I would like to get that, get that quote right anyway. Um, And then, you know, mothers, mothers, the children are the innocent ones. They swallow whatever their parents shove down their throats. Huh? So, I think maybe I think we, maybe we need more regulation. Huh? We're deregulating everything. I think we need to regulate uh, parenting. We need we need license uh, licenses for parents. Huh? To, you know, test them on some basic nutrition. Let them study the book by Doctor Spock, um, not Mister Spock, but Doctor Spock, who said the children shouldn't have uh you know he was the he was the the baby doctor the well-respected baby doctor dr spock well mr spock i think leonard nimoy may have been vegan also so oh um time flies and uh there's the story um out that uh i better get to covering here uh time gets away from me um and coming up on today's program, by the way, we will talk to Ian McDonald. He's of the Vegan Option, and he's been doing this uh, incredible series, radio series, Vegetarianism, the story so far, uh, looking at the history. And uh, 
heard the first episode many months ago, and it was excellent. And uh, I wonder how he's progressed from there. Well, we'll find out today. Uh, also, next hour, we'll hear from Professor Gary Francione with his commentary. But uh, what uh, what is, is striking everybody as strange? You know, I mean, I I say always expect the worst from the Humane Society of the United States, and you will not be disappointed. If you listen to listen to last week's program, we talked about uh, basically the animal rights movement is dead meat. Uh, at least that seems to be the product of the animal rights movement right now. That's what's for sale. That's what the movement is selling. It's selling meat, dairy, fish, and eggs uh, and giving its seal of approval to it. And uh, unfortunately, um, you know, the worst, thing for an- the worst thing for animals since the Humane Society of the United States is the Open Philanthropy Project, uh, open fill, uh, which is uh, uh, bringing a lot of money into the uh, this this animal annihilation advocacy movement that the animal rights movement has become. And I mentioned last week that groups, uh, well, the Humane Society of the United States and Mercy for Animals and the Humane League and Compassion Over Killing are splitting over twelve million dollars to promote cage-free eggs uh they have uh, roaster campaigns you know so it's all it's all promoting animal products now that's where the movement has has gone it is the i mean the meat dairy fish and egg industries now own the animal rights movement um it's bought and sold and those groups got over 12 million dollars and uh there's more the the total that i see from open fill toward uh the uh toward compromising uh, the animal and the animal rights movement uh, looks like it's up over 20 million dollars and we'll, we'll get into the others on that too but um, now um, and and you know you have the Humane Society of the United States it seems to be saying you know we want uh, cage-free eggs uh, but uh, what happened here right now the Humane Society of the United States is supporting smaller cages smaller cages for dogs um not just supporting it it's 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 been involved with crafting legislation for smaller cages for dogs in the state of vermont you know it's interesting because we were uh we played an interview on last week's program please check out the archive i mean you you need to hear this about how the uh, animal rights movement is now so corrupt so corrupted by big money um and the uh the person who is uh, uh, directing this money, who formerly uh, an employee of the Humane Society of the United States, now in charge of animal welfare at Open Phil, Louis Ballard. And he was talking about how he uh, became interested in animals, and it's actually unfortunate that he ever did. Uh, but he was saying that I, I believe he was in Asia, and he was looking at all of the animals in cages who would become food, and he saw chickens and pigs and dogs, and uh, that uh, that really got him uh, to thinking. So now, many years later, what do we see? We see, okay, now I think we we want the, the we want dogs to 
you know, just to be fair, we're, we're not speciesist. We're, we're, you know, we, we, we feel the same way about all species. So now dogs are to suffer the same conditions uh, that chickens suffer. That's, that's, um, <laughs> that's the solution, right? It's uh, smaller cages and, you know, what uh, HSUS and its uh, uh, satellite groupies, its, you know, group of groupies, uh, supported in the past, um, have they've they've supported legislation like Proposition Two, where uh, chickens uh, should be at least given the room to uh, you know stand up and turn around and lie down, at least to have that much room. And now the Humane Society of the United States thinks that uh, you know that that's actually good enough for dogs too, even when dogs actually have it better than that. Um, that's wasted space, wasted space. So let's see if I can get into this from, uh, Valley news. This is from Vermont. And then we'll look at this legislation, but the humane society of the United States is actually involved, um, in crafting legislation that's been passed in Vermont for smaller cages for dogs, smaller cages for dogs. That's right the Humane Society of the United States, uh, and not just supporting the legislation, but uh, participating in the crafting of that legis legislation. So in uh, Valley News, it says uh, the headline is Vermont bill would overhaul regulations for animal cages. This is an article by Matt uh, Hangelitz uh, Hetling, Valley News staff writer, um, and, uh, he writes, uh, regarding the Vermont legislature it says an overhaul of Vermont laws on what exactly constitutes inhumane living conditions for dogs uh, and cats living in cages has led to a debate among different stakeholders in the animal welfare community. Uh, it says, uh, nobody who has a cat or dog as a beloved companion animal would ever confine their animal in the way that uh, this bill allows, said Sue Skaz, uh, Skasku, uh, director of, I apologize, director of the Vermont Volunteer Services for Animal uh, for Animals Humane Society, that's not the Humane Society of the United States, uh, during a telephone interview. Um, but Catherine uh, Finney, executive director of the Vermont Veterinary Medical Association, said in testimony to the House Committee on Agriculture and Forest Products in February that the bill was an improvement uh, these change, quote, the change, these quoting here, these changes will provide humane investigators with a more specific checklist and measurable, um, standards, uh, when they review cases of alleged animal cruelty. Uh, and we strongly support passage of this bill, she said. Uh, the difference of opinion is over H. To 18, a bill that has passed both the House and Senate and needs only a signature from uh, the governor to become law. Um, it's the final product of more than two years of work by the bill sponsor, Representative John Bartholomew, Bartholomew uh, Democrat 
of Heartland, who worked as a professional veterinarian in animal research laboratories. A vivisector, I would say. Uh, so we have uh, a vivisector uh, working on this bill, um, along with the Humane Society of the United States and the Veterinary Association. I did call uh, that Veterinary Association today, and it confirmed uh, that uh, these folks are all partners on, on crafting this legislation. Uh, John Bartholomew, a Democrat there, um, he said a variety of stakeholders, including I'm quoting again from the Valley News. He said a variety of stakeholders, including the Vermont Humane Federation and the Vermont Federation of Dog Clubs, helped him to craft the language which uh, defines things like what types of tethers can be used for dogs, what types of access they need to uh, food and water, the minimum amount of time they need to be uh, let out of their cages each day, and the size of the cages. So uh, it says uh, it's that last portion, the size of the cages, that Skisku, uh, a Bridgewater resident who founded Vermont Volunteer Services for Animals Humane Society in 1996, takes particular issue with. Under current Vermont law, caged dogs need to be provided a minimum amount of living space based on uh, which of the weight divisions the animal falls into. Dogs weighing less than 25 pounds should get a minimum of 12 square feet. Dogs of 100 pounds or more should get 30 square feet. Uh, the new law would do away with a simple weight standard and apply more nuanced, an, a, a, apply an, a more nuanced set of guidelines with uh, three different standards. Uh, dog breeders, veterinarians, and animal research laboratories would be required to use the measurements that would give the uh, more space to each animal. So, the first standard is by weight. Small dogs that weigh less than 33 pounds would get eight square feet. Um, and remember, we, we said that uh, um, the current law, dogs weighing less than 25 pounds get a minimum of 12 square feet. The law changes, and it says dogs that weigh uh, less than 33 pounds would get eight square feet. Medium-sized dogs of between 33 and 66 pounds would get a minimum of 12 square feet, what the small dogs get now uh, based on the law. And uh, large dogs of more than 66 pounds would get 24 square feet. Um, let's see here. It says the... Okay, so so the, the, the article goes on. Um, it says uh, the minimum cage size for a dog is eight square feet, uh, the same amount given to cats under the bill, uh, but less than the 12 square feet allowed to uh, small dogs under the current law. Um, I was looking at the law, uh, looking at this uh, legislation here. Let's see if I can get that on the screen. So this is uh, this is supported by the Humane Society of the United States. Uh, I guess I can 
I'll just X out of the Valley News article here so I don't have so many open tabs. And let's see if we can find uh, where I actually have the, the law here. Okay. So this is uh, what I have here. Oh, no, this is testimony by a veterinarian. I should get to that after I get to the law. Let's get to the law. Okay. So what's interesting about uh, this this law here, let me scroll up and down, this uh, H-218 has passed by the House and Senate. We go down here because what it does is in the law, it uh, crosses out what was previously part of the law so we can compare what's crossed out to what's added. So if I can just uh, find uh, what's crossed out here regarding. Okay, so. It says minimum size of living space, dogs and cats. Now, here's what's, uh, it says a dog, and here's what's crossed out. Uh, so this this is the law as it's in effect now, but will be changed Um the, you know, the, the new H-218. A dog, and this part is crossed out, uh, whether chained or penned, shall be provided a minimum living space no less than uh, three feet by four feet for 25 pounds and smaller dogs, uh, four feet by four feet for 26 to 35 pound dogs, four feet by five feet, for 36 to 50 pound dogs, five feet by five feet for 51 to 99 pound dogs, and six feet by five feet for 100 pound dogs um, and larger dogs. So that's up to, well, if we're at uh, six feet by five feet, we're at 30 square feet, aren't we? Um, anyway, um, and said, uh, so, so that's all crossed out. All, all that's crossed out now. So the, um, what it says here is that uh, a dog uh, that is large enough, uh, the, the enclosure should be large enough to allow the dog in a normal manner to turn about freely, stand, sit, and lie down. Uh, this sounds just like Proposition 2 for chickens, right? A dog shall be presumed to have um, minimum living space if provided with floor space in the greater amount of the following. So if the dog is less than 33 pounds, floor space of at least 8 square feet. And what did we have up there before? We had... Uh, uh, let's see, 26 to 35 pounds. Uh, let's see. Let's see. So a minimum living space, no less than, so it's, it was three feet by four feet for 25, under 25 pounds. And it was uh, four feet by four feet for 26 to 35 pounds. So now, is this getting confusing? I'll just, I'll just go down here. So it says, uh, so less than 33 pounds, uh, floor space of eight square feet. This is the new law. Uh, 33 pounds or, uh, 
or more up to and including 66 pounds, the new floor space, 12 square feet, um, not more than 66 pounds, floor space for at least 24 square feet. Um, anyway, so basically what's happening here is uh, space is going down. This, this will be more in line with uh, USDA regulations. Uh, let's see here if I can get this veterinarian who was speaking on behalf of this. Um, so this was put out by the uh, Vermont Veterinary Medical Association. I called it today to confirm its support and the support of the Humane Society of the United States. Its number is uh, 802-878-6888. I uh, called it earlier today. It uh, released testimony by uh, Lisa Nelson, VMD, um, her testimony to the Senate Committee on uh, Judiciary H-218, an act relating to adequate shelter of dogs and cats, April 26, 2017. Uh, and she thanks everyone. You know, okay. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak to you today. I am Dr. Lisa uh, Nelson, a veterinarian. I'm a past president of the Vermont Veterinary Medical Association, have served on multiple uh, WVMA committees and am currently on the Animal Welfare Committee. I have also served as president of two Vermont Humane Societies and have been involved with the animal cruelty uh, and involved with animal cruelty investigations. Um, I very much appreciate the opportunity to have served as the Vermont Veterinary Medical Association representative to the Animal Shelter Working Group, along with uh, representatives from the Humane Society of the United States, the Vermont Federation of Dog Clubs, and Representative John Bartholomew. So here are the people putting this legislation together, the, Ver the Vermont Veterinary Medical Association, um, and uh, Animal Shelter Working Group, HSUS, uh, Vermont Federation of Dogs, uh, of Dog Clubs, and Representative John Bartholomew. I can attest to the amount of work and uh, collaboration, thinking that went into crafting uh, this uh, proposed new language um, starting in 2015. This bill has uh, the uh, has the uh, strong and collective support of veterinarians and animal organizations in Vermont. We all share the belief that uh, this bill will improve welfare of dogs and cats in Vermont by providing enforcement agents with a specific checklist and uh, measurable standards when they review cases of alleged animal cruelty. So that's what this is about. Uh, less space uh, makes it easier uh, to enforce uh, space regulations, apparently. It says the two major issues, uh, and I'm quoting the veterinarian again here uh, in her testimony, the two major issues for proposed new language uh, relating to dogs and cats are A, um, minimum size of living space for dogs and cats where living space is a principal primary uh, is uh, a principal primary housing and uh, b adequate shelter for dogs uh, 
maintained outdoors in enclosures with uh, proposals for standards, etc. Okay, so um, as for so here as as for living space size, uh, the uh, proposed language specifically states that the dog must be able to, uh, in a normal manner. Turn about freely, stand, sit, and lie down. Again, this is uh, Proposition 2 for chickens in California, uh, coming home to roost for dogs in Vermont. Uh, it says uh, uh, these are uh, performance benchmarks which uh, must be met. Uh, H218 allows for two options to determine uh, if the living space is adequate, each option originates from the Federal Animal Welfare Act, uh, the uh, one based on length of dog is also part of the American Veterinary Medical Association's model bill and uh, regulations to assure appropriate care for dogs uh, intended for use as pets. Uh, practically speaking, the formula for determining adequate living space size is uh, based on length of dog, requires uh, uh, a tape measure and a calculator or smartphone or a copy of the AWA chart. So uh, this is how we, uh, how we measure cruelty here. The enforcement agent simply has to uh, measure the dog, do the calculations, or refer to the chart. Um, let's see. So, uh, the adequate space size formula for length takes into account performance standards for dogs. An 80-pound English bulldog may not require the same amount of living space as an 80-pound Irish setter based on breed characteristics and activity levels. So they're taking all of this into account here. Um, so let me just see here. Let me see. And so she concludes, uh, the Vermont Veterinary Medical Association believes that these changes are necessary to provide enforcement agencies with the tools they need when they review cases of alleged animal cruelty. The current statutes are confusing and unclear and these changes are necessary to uh, hold animal-owning Vermonters accountable to minimum standards and to improve animal welfare. The v, um, VVMA strongly supports passage of this bill, and I am happy to address any questions you may have. And okay, so that was uh, Lisa Nelson, VMD, Morrisville, Vermont. Lisa uh, VMD at gmail.com. And so uh, there you have it. That explains it. Um, by the way, um, you know, I didn't just want to go on air with this without confirming the information that the Humane Society of the United States is uh, supporting smaller cages for dogs. So I did call the Los Angeles office of the Humane Society of the United States. And uh, gosh, was the person there? Was her name Monica? Anyway, so she um, didn't know anything about it. Uh, she, of course, thought that 
uh, it was outlandish uh, that uh, you know she felt like, well, people must be spreading rumors. We're 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 against puppy mills. <laughs> we're against puppy mills. She said. Well, um, then I called. <laughs> I called the Vermont Veterinary Medical Association. Confirmed what the uh, people at the Humane Society of the United States office in Los Angeles did not know. I called her back and gave her the phone number so that she could confirm, so that she could know, because I said, you're going to be getting a lot of complaints from people. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that's that's the way it, that's the way it goes here. Um, the Humane Society of the United States is... Basically, it is the animal exploitation industry. What, whatever it touches turns to to, to misery for the animals. Uh, this is really, you know, I mean, we, we would think it, it, well, you know, HSUS partnered with the egg industry. It, you know, it supported the uh, uh, enriched cages for, for chickens. It supports uh, cage-free eggs, which is horrible. I mean, that's what's what's so awful is that all of these groups are receiving millions of dollars from the uh, Open Phil project, Open Philanthropy, to promote cage-free eggs. Mercy for Animals has received uh, $3 million from Open Phil. Mercy for Animals on its website used to oppose cage-free eggs, uh, saying, don't believe the egg industry hype. And now Mercy for Animals is the egg industry. Mercy for Animals used to tell us that every male chick born into the cage-free egg industry, every male chick born uh, is immediately thrown into the macerator, ground alive, uh, or suffocated. Um, that's every male chick. Every female is mutilated. She's debeaked. You know, basically her face is cut off, you know, most of us need our face. Um, very often, chickens uh, can't drink water. Or they starve as a result of debeaking. So all of these cage-free hens are debeaked, and Mercy for Animals was, was against that, uh, you know, protesting against that. And then all of these birds are crammed into um, a big shed, with tens of thousands of other birds. So, you know, they're all crammed together. They, they can't get anywhere there. You know, there's a lot of violence and they, you know, they're fighting with each other. They're, they're killing each other. Um, and then when they can't produce eggs anymore, they're killed. So uh, that's uh, cage free eggs. That's the campaign. That's, that's, you know, that's the campaign for the animal rights movement bought and sold by the open philanthropy project. And now, uh, Mercy for Animals sings a different tune. Uh, HSUS is uh, a rancher advocacy organization run by pig farmers, basically, and uh, others who exploit animals. It has uh, it has these uh, animal legislative councils all across the country. Um, it is the livestock industry. It's a member of an international livestock federation uh, to promote the growth uh, of sales of livestock products, wanting to uh, wanting to reach uh, an increase in demand of seventy percent by twenty fifty. That's 
HSUS and everybody else is uh, joining the party. You know, the, they're all uh, taking their bribery money, their uh, contributions, their donations and working against the interests of animals. And now um, why not? Uh, why not the same conditions for which we advocate for chickens for dogs? Right. I mean, so so that we're not speciesist, uh, just as uh, was the case with Proposition 2 in California. Uh, all we want is for them to have enough room to uh, stand up, turn around, sit down, lie down. And uh, also in some of this literature about this uh, H218 in Vermont, it was saying that, um, you know, the, the extra room that dogs have now, it's really just a waste. It's, you know, it's, they, they don't need it. They don't need it. So uh, smaller cages for dogs. That's uh, put it on your put it on your sign and let's, you know. That's that's our campaign. Smaller cages for dogs and uh, kill all those baby male chicks and you're doing your part for the animal rights movement. Okay, uh, I think uh, that's enough of that. And so uh, we will continue. Uh, look at this, o over $20 million from the Open Philanthropy Project. And again, we did have, uh, on last week's show, listen to the archive from last week because we played an interview uh, with the uh, clown running uh, animal welfare projects for Open Phil, uh, Louis Bollard, who admits that he, listen to how many times he says he doesn't know what he's doing. He admits that he's a know-nothing, and uh, yet he's willing to spend $20 million on animal products and not a penny. I don't see anything devoted to vegan education. I mean, he said he didn't know what, what the right course of action was. Um, so you would think he'd bet at least of the 20 million. How about a million toward vegan education? Huh? How about, how about 10, 10 million toward animal products? Uh, how about 10 million toward eating eggs and, and turning the animal rights movement into a bunch of egg salesmen? Um, couldn't just do 10 million toward that and, and 10 million toward vegan education. No, nope, not a penny, not a penny toward vegan education from this know nothing who's the most influential person now in the animal rights movement. So uh, I recommend you listen to that archive. Okay, coming up uh, still on today's program, we will hear from Ian McDonald uh, with his very interesting program that he is uh, he's put together. The uh, vegetarianism, the story so far, uh, looking at the history of vegetarianism. We'll talk about the word vegetarian and vegan, too. Um, and uh, so we'll continue. So no money coming our way from the Open Philanthropy Project. Uh, maybe the money that you wanted to donate toward uh, people eating eggs and animal bodies. Maybe you'd like to donate that to Go Vegan Radio here, um, you know, for uh, the vegan cause. Uh, you don't hear us promoting cage-free eggs. And, uh, you know, something I don't think it's such a good idea, smaller cages for dogs, for uh, puppy mills and, and vivisectors and researchers. Nope, that, that doesn't seem to work here either. So um, if you'd like to support the vegan cause, like a cause really like for animals, you can do so by donating on our website. The website is goveganradio.com. You can find the donate button there. You can also subscribe and support us via Patreon. And I see we have a few people coming on there. You can subscribe for as little as a dollar. So uh, please support this program. And you can find us on Facebook at 
Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, and on Twitter at Go Vegan Radio.
There, I think I hit the right button. Okay. Terrific. We continue on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com. On Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. Where have I heard, where have I heard that before? Oh, just a second or two ago. And uh, on Twitter, at Go Vegan Radio. And uh, once again, I want to thank Evolution evolution vegan dog and cat food for its support of go vegan radio with bob linden and uh eric weissman is all excited that we're starting a 24 7 music radio station i want to keep the rumors going that we're gonna gonna get it going get radio bobby going uh on memorial day weekend that's the target i'm sending money to sound exchange now the music licensing uh agency you know we have to pay ascap bmi sound exchange all of them to play uh, music so uh but uh 
just put it in the back of your mind. Radio Bobby debut Memorial Day weekend. We'll shoot for that Friday, and I'll let you know. And I think you're uh, going to like what you hear, and uh, you're going to like what you don't hear because you won't hear any commercials from Eat Dairy, Fish, and Eggs, any uh, products derived from animals. No, no, no leather, feather, fur, wool, silk, circus, nothing, nothing. So just great music and uh, hopefully commercials you can tolerate, meaning hopefully like we, uh, we need to get some sponsors and support us so we can pay those music licensing fees. So Radio Bobby coming uh, Memorial Day weekend. Now, uh, oh, and yes, so I was thanking... Um, Eric Weissman, I was thanking uh, Evolution, uh, Dog and Cat Food. And uh, by the way, if uh, you are having any health challenges with dogs and cats, uh, you can have a free consultation uh, because there are many supplement formulations available from Evolution. So uh, just call 651-228-0632. Um, six five one two two eight zero six three two. Um, for urgent issues, um, there's another number, which is six five one four nine two two one nine zero. So um, that's evolution, um, and uh, you do get twenty five percent off your first order of dry food from Evolution. Daisy loves Evolution. Um, and your dogs and cats probably will too. Has new flavors, has the new gourmet fondue, gourmet pasta. Uh, sounds delicious. Maybe Daisy and I will share a can after the show. So we are happy to welcome back to the program Dr. Ian McDonald, who is with the Vegan Option. Um, and uh, way back when he uh, was with us talking about uh, the epic historical series that he was producing for radio, uh, which happens to be FM radio in London. Um, And it's uh, vegetarianism, the story so far. And uh, so welcome back, Ian. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's it's very quiet because it's in London. Uh, and just episode thirteen. It's a fifteen-pound series. All I, 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 before I get started into and into everybody's podcast feed. And it's fascinating. I don't know um, if we're having some. Uh, I, I think I'm. I think I'm having trouble um, hearing you. Like you're 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 breaking up. It's uh, there's something strange. Are you? Uh, Let's see. Are, are you there? Let me see. Uh, let me see. You'll, I am you'll here. Have to sp- um, talk here so you have a sample of my speech. Yeah, um, I, I, I think that we have to probably try to uh, reconnect. I, I don't think that uh, the, the sound quality uh, would work. So um, maybe uh, you and Jacob uh, behind the scenes can try to... Uh, get another connection. Try the Skype again and see if that works. So uh, let's sure. uh, let's do that. Let's do that. Yeah. And uh, so hopefully Jacob's hearing me behind the scenes here. And uh, 
we'll we'll work on that with you so okay so uh we'll do that and in the meantime i would like to then thank uh vegetarian house for its support of go vegan radio with bob linden um and it is uh actually year after year uh really really there for us vegetarian house one of the great vegan restaurants in the world um and uh looks like i think sunday i may have a chance to head over there Ah, too many choices. I'll have to start thinking now. You can look at the menu also at vegetarianhouse.us. I love the burger, so I feel like I do want, would want to have a Jolly Burger, and I, I really like the ocean basket, but I want Asian food when I go there. Well, decisions, decisions, so. Um, vegetarian house is at 520 East Santa Clara Street, 100% vegan, organic, non-GMO. And uh, check out the menu, some wonderful raw options and uh, fresh squeezed juices and great desserts and just a fantastic place. And uh, also, if uh, you have an event coming up, Vegetarian House does cater uh, the catering business is booming for Vegetarian House. And uh, so if it's a business event you have or a social event, you're getting married and you want to uh, you want to get along with the in-laws into the future, feed them right, show them that, uh, you know, you, you know how to take care of your spouse with good food and, you know, everybody will live happily ever after. So, you know, if we all went vegan we all would live happily ever after especially the animals well we wouldn't have them uh, born into the situation into which they're born i wonder if i can experiment now i know that uh, jacob is trying to get ian mcdonald back on the line in london uh, ah you believe you're there i believe okay well if you believe you're there i'm gonna believe you and uh I think it is a better connection, so I think we're happening now. So, terrific. So, uh, as I was uh, saying, uh, Ian McDonald is in London. Uh, He's with the Vegan Option and uh, producing the epic historical series for radio, um, for FM radio in London, Um, Vegetarianism, the story so far, and... uh, uh, oh, you! Th- thank you for staying up. It's the the wee hours of the morning, is uh, isn't it now, uh, Ian? What the, what time is it there where you are? The, the wee hours, indeed. Your Monday program goes out on Tuesday in the UK. Hey, no? I, I, uh, I'm a little concerned about the sound quality again. Is this a uh... the Monday? Yeah, this is not uh, not okay. not a good connection. I mean, you may hear me okay, Ian, but you're breaking up to the maximum, and I this is uh, too bad because I know that you stayed up to the wee hours. It's uh, you know, in fact, it's Tuesday where you are. Let's see. Yeah. Uh, 
Oh, this is still uh, breaking up. Well, still breaking up until you said still breaking up. Now, uh, let's see. Did anything improve or or are we just allowed to get confirmation that you're still breaking up and then you go back to breaking up? Let's see. So uh, are you there? I'm here. I'm here. Yeah, it's just uh, that strange, strange Skype kind of uh, problem, unfortunately. I don't know if it's that we're trying to hook up through Hangouts, we're not hooking up through Hangouts, or too many things are open, or uh, or the Russian hackers are at it again. I don't know who's who's doing what to whom here. Uh, Let's see. Let's try again. Well, Ian? Shall I? Yeah. Okay. Let's... No, that's... Uh, we're just... We're just not, not getting the juice for it. I'm going to... Uh, let me go to... to, to I think I, I'm going to try to play Maccabee, although maybe that would be defeating the purpose because Jacob's trying to get the line together with you, but I have... Uh, uh, we've been on uh, Mondays... Uh, Maka B, the reggae artist, has been putting out something that he calls Medical Mondays and has been featuring different uh, fruits and vegetables and the jewels of the vegan kingdom um, and uh, rhyming about them. I think last week was the rhyme about Lyme. And uh, certainly Medical Monday and looking at uh, produce uh, seems to make a lot, you know, much more sense than meatless mondays which seem to be selling a lot of dairy and eggs um so uh let's see if we can get uh maccabee on uh this week and uh with his uh medical monday greetings welcome to maccabee's medical monday today it's all about this beetroot you know a beetroot a vegetable sweet like a fruit beetroot in the superfood group salute beetroot at the truth yeah beetroot's a phenomena some drink beet juice to exercise longer endurance stamina minerals like silica make your bones stronger iron for anemia blood flow to the brain could have prevent dementia with a sport or leisure me said the nitrate content help your blood pressure high in fiber low in calories the sugar in it slowly releases no spikes no sudden increases that mean it can help with diabetes Raw or in a juice, beetroot's got a lot of medical use. Antioxidant, anti inflammatory, also immune system boost. Detox your liver, bile it produce. Tastes nice, no excuse. Make a date with the beetroot, get introduced. And even the beet greens have some use. Beets in America, that's how it's known. Beets, and I'm not talking headphone, no surround sound. My beets from the ground, you're stepping at the vegan zone. A medical Monday, yes, I am. Well, that's Maccabee with his Medical Monday talking about beets and beetroot. Uh, where else do you get uh, such poetry uh, about, uh, you know, fruits, vegetables, nuts, grains, seeds? Although, didn't I? Uh, I put out a poem this week. Uh, some, we'll get to that later. Um, what do we think? We have any luck, uh, Jacob, in talking to Ian or or... Let's see. We may have to we may have to talk to Ian next week and you know Are you there, Ian? No. Alright. So we had Maccabee with uh, beetroot and shall we 
Let's see. I see this I'm trying to connect via Skype. Is it happening? Or are we gonna are we gonna hear more poetry from Maccabee? One more from Maccabee so we catch up with the Meatless Mondays. Uh all right, let's let's spice it up a second here with Maccabee again on Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden. Them say Peter Piper pick up a cup of pepper, but this is not pickled pepper, this is cayenne pepper and it better. You only need a little bit of pepper, not a lot. If you use a lot of pepper, then you could become a crapper. Little bit of pepper just to make it little utter. And if you do it proper, it can medically matter. Cayenne pepper information, very good for circulation and it's good for stimulation and reduces inflammation. I know we don't know question that it's helpful for congestion. Also, they suggestion that it help with indigestion. An ingredient within that is called capsaicin is using many painkilling creams for the skin. I know it's good for pain, seen it time and time again. Personally, seen the cayenne stop a migraine. Even a toothache that can keep you awake. Make the tea, then hold it in your mouth and wait in a warm water. With some lemon oil and your body knows it's detoxification time. But be careful with the pepper and I will tell you why. Don't get it on a cut or get it in your eye. If you do, it will sting. You will ball eye eye. Anyhow, sing this song here with eye. Them say Peter Piper pick up a cup pickle pepper, but this is not pickle pepper. This is cayenne pepper and it better. A medical Monday, Maccabee tongue twister. Yes, I am. Okay, well, there you have... Maccabee, again, with his uh, Medical Monday on cayenne pepper. So, uh, I don't know. It seems like, well, I use cayenne pepper all the time. So, uh, I don't use a lot, you know. And like he said, don't get it in your eyes. So, and then it seems like the power of suggestion. He talks about cucumbers. I'm interested in cucumbers. I wind up uh, cutting them up, putting them in a jar of water as an energy drink, you know. So, uh, he talks about watercress. Does a poem about watercress. I don't know if I if I ever bought watercress in my life. I got some. I had a salad. I loved it. Great. <laughs> so, anyway, um, so that's Maccabee, and he also has Wami Eat uh, Wednesdays, and uh, he has a, a lot of great reggae music, including music about being vegan and. You will hear that on Radio Bobby. Uh, you'll hear that on Radio Bobby once we come on the air. And um, again, our uh, target for that is um, Memorial Day weekend, hopefully that Friday. So uh, there we can get everybody listening, all the music lovers, and then tell them about the dangers of grilling as the grilling season starts, right? I'll, We'll talk about uh, all the grilling with none of the killing and none of the uh, HCAs. You know, when you grill, uh, when you grill flesh, it uh, becomes even more carcinogenic than it is when it starts off. You know, so okay. So we'll be uh, looking to do Radio Bobby coming up Memorial Day weekend, and it seems that uh, I don't know. Don't know about what we can do with uh, what was the what was my poem this week? It was uh, you would think I would have it memorized, you know, Maccabee going off like that, and here I am. It was uh, something like what was it? If if you think that if you think that vegan is the punchline of a joke, who will be laughing with heart disease, cancer, or stroke? I think that was my poem uh i'll have to check facebook i posted it everywhere so um okay i guess uh i guess we're having problems connecting with the uk 
um, Professor Gary Francion coming up uh, at the bottom of the hour. And I do believe that we might, uh, I think we might take another moment here and see if we can get our communication system together here in the alternative media. Okay. Um, do support our program uh, with a tax-deductible donation. Um, we've been on air now for 16 years. As heard on the Air America Radio Network and CBS and Clear Channel stations across the country, we do a weekly two-hour podcast now. And uh, Radio Bobby coming soon. So uh, support us with a donation, please at goveganradio.com
Okay, it's Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com. And uh, sorry about the technical difficulties this week. Um, but, uh, you know, it's like, what would this show be without technical difficulties? It would, you know, it would be like every other smooth running show that's so boring, right? It would be like CNN. Uh, so anyway, uh, it doesn't look like we're going to connect with, uh, Ian McDonald this week, so he may have to have another spot of tea or two or 10 next week to stay up to the wee hours to be with us. But, uh, his, uh, his series is fantastic. I heard the initial program and then, you know, we, we lose touch, we get busy and he's been, he's been working on it and. I'm going to want to hear it all. I, I listen to so much garbage and watch so much garbage on YouTube, you know, that uh, actually I'm looking forward to reconnecting now with, with Ian. I had him on way back when I heard the first episode. So uh, it'll be great to catch up and uh, we'll do so next Monday um, regarding his uh, vegetarianism, the story so far. Um And uh, I, I guess in the sequel, he'll have to have my epic poem, right? My, uh, my epic poem um, entitled Vegan Joke Punchline, a poem entitled Vegan Joke Punchline. And now that we have a little extra time, I guess I can read the whole poem to you. Here's, here's the poem in, it, in its entirety. My poem entitled uh, Vegan Joke Punchline a poem entitled Vegan Joke Punchline. If you think that vegan is the punchline of a joke, will you still be laughing with heart attack, cancer, or stroke? Okay, I hope you enjoyed my uh, new uh, poem entitled Vegan Joke Punchline, a poem entitled Vegan Joke Punchline. I knew I should not have uh, tried to uh, do it you know, from memory earlier in the show, I knew I'd get it wrong. Um, I probably would have done better you know, trying to uh, remember uh, Robert Frost stopping by woods on a snowy evening. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow, fill up with snow. I won't go on because then apparently we go on to speciesism. My little horse must think it queer. And now we think about using the horse. And uh, I don't even want to deal with that poem anymore. So there you have it. Um, let's see. Haven't done anything about the environment this week. And of course, I at least every week have to mention that... Uh, any Anything you see or hear about climate change, anything that makes you worry about it, fear it, um, just remember the main cause is the consumption of meat, dairy, fish, and eggs. And the only solution before it's too late is a massive population shift to vegan. No, not to cage-free eggs, not to roasters with the... Uh, uh, mercy for animals uh, seal of approval or compassion over killing seal of approval 
Isn't it amazing? The only way we can save the planet is a massive population shift to veganism because uh, apparently eating meat, dairy, fish, and eggs is so wrong, so wrong that it destroys the planet because it's just, you know, look at what it does to the animals who don't deserve any of it. What did they do to deserve it, right? They get born into the death penalty. They committed no crime. They're completely innocent, yet they're born into the death penalty. They're born into a life in prison, and uh, they're harmless. They're harmless. So uh, this word for the animals, go vegan uh, or die. That's basically what it is. So you want to keep the, the planet going? I don't know. I don't know why nobody tells you that animal agriculture is the number one cause of climate change and going vegan is the only solution. I guess that's why we do this program every week, every week, because uh, you just won't hear this really anywhere else. Um, those who are supposed to protect animals, advocate for animals, are busy advocating for their, uh, for their purchase uh, in the butcher shop. That's Kind of strange. Kind of a strange movement, but everything is kind of strange these days, right? So there you have it. Um, so again, any any climate specialist you happen to see, any anybody who's talking about climate change, uh, be sure to ask him or her if he or she knows what the number one cause of climate change is and uh, if he or she knows the solution. Chances are they don't because they don't hear about it from the um, <laughs> anti-environment environmental movement. No, nobody has a good movement, you know. No, nobody has a good movement uh, except vegans. They get a lot. They get a lot of fiber. They they have good movements. Anyway, uh, Professor Fra uh, Gary Francione coming next with animal rights commentary. Again, I invite you to support this program for the vegan cause. Uh, there's not much out there for the vegan cause uh, at this point. Um, I don't know why people have to run away from the word vegan. Again, I uh, had a bit of a, you know, I post all the time about my uh, issues with the, with the term plant-based, you know, and that, uh, uh, plant-based doesn't mean vegan and even in the sense of only having having vegan food because it does talk about minimizing uh, consumption of meat, dairy, fish, and eggs, which makes no sense. I don't really understand why that's going around in the plant-based movement, but, uh, you know, so you can be eating meat, dairy, fish, and eggs and saying that you're on a plant-based diet because you've minimized those uh, meat, dairy, fish, and egg portions, uh, perhaps by, uh, you know, participating in Meatless Monday, you know? So I, do I understand anything anymore? Not really. Um, so, okay, that's it. Um, I guess all I should and could do now is say that uh, please help the vegan movement. Help us continue uh, with a tax-deductible donation. And you can make your contribution, which will never go toward uh, the consumption of animal products. You'll never hear me saying uh, 
Hey, isn't McDonald's great? In ten years, they're gonna, you know, just be serving uh, cage-free eggs, killing all the male chicks at a day of age, uh, mutilating all the females, imprisoning them in harsh confinement, and then killing them. Isn't that a good cause for animal advocates? Okay, Professor Francione coming up, and. Uh, you can subscribe uh, to Go Vegan Radio uh, via Patreon. We have the link at GoVeganRadio.com. Subscribe for as little as a dollar. Or do- donate as much as you like by clicking donate at GoVeganRadio.com.
Okay, it is Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden at GoVeganRadio.com, Facebook, Go Vegan Radio with Bob Linden, and Twitter at Go Vegan Radio. And uh, during this break here, while the music was playing, I uh, said hi to Professor Gary Francione uh, back in uh, New Jersey. And uh, Gary had not been listening to the program so far. And we got into talking about uh, what I was discussing earlier. And uh, it's, it's news to Gary. And I, I want him to, to, to fully absorb this because it's, uh, you know, it's, like, can you top this, right? So last week, we're talking about all the money going from the Open Philanthropy Project uh, into these groups, including HSUS, to promote cage-free eggs and roaster campaigns, and HSUS getting uh, three or four million dollars for that. So it's like, you know, everybody, I, I'm posting this, and everybody's all shocked that you know, basically, the animal rights movement is dead meat, basically, because that's the, one of the main products that it is selling now. So. Um, how, how can we top this? We find out that HSUS has been involved with crafting legislation in Vermont. Uh, this was uh, H-218 uh, was the legislation. Uh, HSUS just didn't support it. It, uh, it was a participant in, in writing the legislation with the uh, Vermont uh, uh, Veterinary uh, Association and others. And this legislation is to make cages smaller, to decrease the size of cages for dogs, for housing for dogs in situations, you know, relating to vivisection, research, puppy mills. Vermont had regulations and, and sizes of cages uh, that were greater than USDA regulations. So now um, here we here we have uh, here here we have a new law for, from HSUS for smaller cages. Actually written uh, just like Proposition Two, Gary in in California, where it said chickens should be able to stand up, you know, turn around, sit down, lie down. That's in this legislation in Vermont that dogs should be able to uh, stand up turn around, sit down, lie down, and that's it. So this is S218 in Vermont uh, from HSUS. That's our, that's our animal rights campaign for the week, Smaller Cages for Dogs. How do you like uh, that, Gary? I'm having, I'm having a, a, a hard time understanding this. So HSUS, uh, and I, I, I was unaware of this completely, Bob, um, but you're telling me that HSUS uh, has helped to write standards which which allow for or, or which which basically go back on um, Vermont's more generous standards and 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 bring Vermont down to the to the, the minimum that the USDA requires. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. And, and what? Why did HSUS do that for uniformity purposes? Um, well, the excuse, and you know, one of one of the veterinarians spoke at the legislature, and apparently they're saying it's uh, for uh, e easier for enforcement purposes. Um, so, 
Um, that's basically what they're saying is that it'll be easier to enforce that uh, basically I think an inspector would just have to measure a dog from nose to tail and use some calculation to know if there's a violation. Um, but, but, uh, but presumably I, I'm a little perplexed by this. What was the number of that bill? It's Vermont bill H dot two eighteen, and I uh, I went to the text of the bill and I I was reading from it before on the show, and it actually if you if you find the text you'll see where it crosses out what the space requirements were in the past and you see the new wording and uh, it gets uh, it 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 gets smaller it it gets smaller for sure. Well, if in fact that's the case, that makes no sense to me because presumably, again, I'd have to, I've got to read. I've got to read this. I now have it up on the screen, but I, I can't read it right now. But I would imagine that um, Vermont had standards that were measurable before. Yes, so, they were. They were. They were higher standards. So, um, I mean, and I, I, I went over. They were higher standards, but they were ascertainable, presumably. <laughs> that is, that is somebody who was seeking to see if they were being met would have to be able to do the measurements in some reasonably straightforward way. And, and I, I think it went more by weight previously. I think uh, you know if it was uh, if a, if a dog is under twenty five pounds. Uh, he or she gets uh, X amount of square feet, uh, 33 pounds to 66 X amount of square feet. Um, so it was uh, it was like that. Now it's it's considerably less. Uh, and and, and so, they still are using weight, though. See, I'm trying to I, I, I closed my windows here that um, that had uh, that that had that in it. Now. So I. I. Uh, I wasn't sure about this. I, I heard about it today, and, and so I, I called the HSUS uh, office in Los Angeles, and I asked about it, and, he, and, you know, just I didn't say who I was, but the person there said, well, you're the second person who called me about this today, but I can assure you that there's, there's something wrong with this. We're, we're against puppy mills. We, w we, wouldn't be we wouldn't be for smaller cages, you know. Uh, we, you know we're, we're against cages. And I said, well, all right, that's what I'm hearing. You haven't heard about this. Uh, and then I called the Veterinary Association in Vermont and asked her, I said, do you know if HSUS is supporting your bill for um, – you know, smaller cages. And she said, uh, well, uh, HSUS was a partner in, in writing it with us. So, um, and let me see, there was an article. Maybe I can find that. That was in Valley News. It might be easier for me to find that than the legislation itself. But uh, it says here, um, okay, so so as it, it read in this newspaper article in Val Valley News, it says, under current Vermont law, Caged dogs need to be provided a minimum amount of living space based on which of uh, five weight divisions the animal falls into. Dogs weighing less than 25 pounds should get a minimum of 12 square feet. Dogs of 100 pounds or more should get 30 square feet. 
the new law would do away with the simple weight standard and apply a more uh, nuanced set of guidelines with three other uh, with three different standards. Dog breeders, veterinarians, and animal research laboratories would be required to use the measures that would give uh, the most space. So it says, okay, so the first standard is by weight. Small dogs that weigh less than 33 pounds would get eight square feet. Now, what it used to be was 12 square feet, right? It says dogs weighing less than 25. The way it is now, dogs weighing less than 25 pounds should get a minimum of 12 square feet, the way the law reads now. Now, uh, It'll be small dogs that weigh less than 33 pounds would get eight square feet. Medium-sized dogs between 33 and 66 pounds would get a minimum of 12 square feet. And large dogs of more than 66 pounds would get 24 square feet. So um, considerably uh, less room um, you know, all the way around on, on this. Yeah, that, that, that's just um, bizarre. I mean, I have to. I, I will be. I'll look into this um, tomorrow. But I, I, I have to say. I mean, look. Um, I, I don't know what it. I, you know, again, I have to. You know, I have to. This strikes me as being very odd. On the other hand, the strange and sad thing is, is that nothing. And you see, great. How how can you top this HSUS? I, you know, it's like, hey, we're giving away uh, bacon coupons this week. You know, it's like they they just HSUS just tops itself over and over again to where it's like what's coming next and you don't really want to know you know i mean so so yeah i called i called the hsus office in los angeles and she said that's absurd you know so no, no way um and and she gave me some guy's number in vermont to call but he didn't pick up so i thought well let me call the veterinarians association there and she confirmed that you know hsus isn't just a supporter it's 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 a writer you know so uh, there you have it, smaller cages, and the language is, is just like Proposition 2 with, you know, they should be able to stand up, turn around, sit down, lie down. That just, that's the space that they should have. So, uh, Well, yeah. I have to say, I mean, you know, I remember a couple of years ago when HSUS was sponsoring the, the um the hoofing it event, you know, in which meat was being, meat and other animal products were being served, and they were sponsoring that, promoting it. Mm -hmm. And I remember when that first came to my attention, somebody sent me an email and said, what do you think of this? And I thought, oh, boy, I'll tell you, these people, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, HSUS is, is a bad organization, but they would never do anything like this. And and I looked into it, and I re and I found that they, in fact, were. And well, well hoofing it, hoofing it. I mean, it was so cutesy. It was a different hoofed animal every night on the menu in Denver, four nights in a row. I mean, it was so cutesy. I mean, it was just oh, just yeah, yeah, hard to believe. Hoofing it would be. Let's eat, uh, you know, uh, this hoofed animal tonight, you know, and then yeah, different, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I remember, you know, I remember. It, it, I mean, the strange thing is, is you know, we're having a conversation about whether HSUS is is involved with um, uh, promoting smaller cages for dogs, and part of me wants to say, 
No, Bob, there must, you must be misreading something. There must be something wrong here, and I, I can't, you know, I've got, to, I've got to look at this. I've got to read the various iterations of the bill. I've got to see what's going on, and I've got to see who's responsible for it. And, and my, my instinct is to say, oh, Bob, you can't be right. But on the other hand, I had that view when the hoofing it thing came up. I remember when I first heard that Joe Maxwell, a pig farmer, was vice president of HSUS. I remember when I first, when someone first mentioned that to me years ago. Did you hear they just appointed Joe Maxwell as vice president? And I remember thinking, you know, why can't animal people get it? You know, why can't they be accurate, for God's sake? You know, <laughs> HSUS does enough, you know, problematic stuff. You don't have to exaggerate it. And then I found out, in fact, that they had appointed Joe Maxwell as as um, vice president, and then, then I don't know, it was last year, you know, um, somebody who was defending HSUS said they got rid of Joe Maxwell is no longer vice president, and um, and when I I then spent a few minutes looking researching that, and I found out in fact the person was correct HSUS did remove Joe, Joe Maxwell as vice president, but they made him director of the HSUS Legislative Fund. Right, right, right. So, and I so, believe he was replaced by somebody, if, if my memory serves me well, I think his name was Eric Swafford, um, who had, uh, had some violations with horses in Tennessee. You know, the, I think he had some soaring violations you know with the tennessee walking horses so he had some uh this guy who replaced joe maxwell in that position had some violations against horses and joe maxwell apparently had some humane violations with his pig farm so uh (laughs) so yeah it it all is uh it's all so unbelievable with hsus that you hear oh hsus is is distributing uh discount coupons for bacon and you think really like tempeh bacon like a vegan bacon like what could it be no pig bacon you know i mean it's just uh one thing after another last week it it was so hard to bear when i finally you know i went back back and looked at the open philanthropy project and saw wow now they've put out about about 20 million dollars to promote animal abuse, this open fill project, the, the groups I mentioned last week, splitting about 12 million, um, you know, HSUS, Mercy for Animals, the Humane League and COK, they, they have about 12 million. And then there's another 8 million or so to others. So about 20 million going out, not a penny, not a penny toward the promotion of veganism or vegan education, just all for, for animal products. So it, it was like, well, how can HSUS outdo itself? Well, now it's for smaller cages after all. Like, let's uh, let's rem- just proposition two standards for dogs. You know, like why? Let's not be speciesist. All let's let's treatment. Let's treat all species the same. Just enough room to turn around. And and the dogs have had too much room as it as it is. And th- there was a comment like that somewhere. I don't know. I don't remember where I read it. But they were saying that um, the extra space for dogs is that that they've had is unnecessary and you know not not useful at all so the question becomes the question becomes why would hsus if it did in fact do what it appears to be the case 
why would HSUS do that? What would his incentive be? I mean, what what are they what are they getting out of it that would make them do something which is um, uh, this uh, ostensibly dumb and counterproductive? And, and I mean, it may be the case simply that. Um, I mean, I, I, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I honestly, I mean, it may be the case that, be, that 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 HSUS feels that whatever it's getting, um, it's worth it because the negative response of animal people will be negligible because animal people as a group um, seem to be unable to be shocked um, in terms of horrible positions that these large groups take. Um, and um, and so they may feel that the fallout won't be significant, but I still don't understand whatever they, however they assess the fallout, what is the advantage that they're getting? I don't understand. I mean, what possible advantage? Did, did anything that you read, Bob? Um, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, the, the, the only reasoning was that this will make uh, enforcement easier no, well, yeah, well, I know, and, but why would HSUS care about whether enforcement is easy for the USDA? I mean, you know, what, <laughs> what, 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 I mean, what possible reason would HSUS care? I mean, unless, unless for some reason they felt that the, the standards that were presently being employed weren't being enforced because they were too difficult. I, again, I'm not saying that would justify their helping that, 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 that they're participating in standards which would reduce size. But, I mean, I'm just trying to figure out, I mean, all of this is just so bizarre. I feel like, I mean, it's like a deja vu. I mean, I feel like it's like the discussions that I had with people about, oh, you must be joking. It's not, you know, there's no such thing as Well, I, I felt that way, too. And so, uh, you know, I, 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 I heard rumors of this, um, and I thought, well, before I go on the air with it, let me at least try to confirm it by calling HSUS. So I called the HSUS office in Los Angeles and uh, she, the person who answered the phone thought that, that it was ridiculous that they would never support, support s smaller cages. She said, you know, we're, we're against uh, uh, puppy mills. You know, this, this, that's ridiculous. And uh, then I called the Veterinary Association in Vermont and got confirmation and then called the person back in LA and said, uh, you're probably going to be get, getting some uh, complaints. So you maybe want to educate yourself on uh, H218 uh, in Vermont because uh, you are going to be hearing about it. And she, so, so HSUS didn't know about it. You know, that's uh, the Los Angeles office, you know, so. Oh, and I did call the um, Washington, D.C. office also, and they connected me with somebody in legislative, and she didn't know anything about it. So... Um, it's uh, you know it. I I just think it's 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 really it, it would be really hard for the you know I mean what what kind of uh, public relations nightmare is it for HSUS to be for smaller cages and and to write the legislation for it to participate in in writing the legislation I mean it's it's as strange as it gets right so I mean yeah of course why should you believe me. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It, 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 well, I believe you, Bob. I just find this. I mean, I'd, I'm going to look into this further tomorrow because I, I think this is all very odd, and I'm trying to figure out what, what incentive, what, the, what they're getting. I mean, you know, I don't know whether or not there's some deal being made that, you know, they want something from USDA 
and what they're doing is supporting USDA's effort to restrict the movement of dogs in Vermont or something. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I, I just I just don't know. But I mean, clearly something's going on. If in fact they've done what you're thinking they, they may have done, there must have been some some quid pro quo. I mean, unless they're just gratuitously silly and counterproductive. Well, you, you would think that there'd be have to be some sort of trade-off for the well, yeah. I mean, there, the there, public there, relations there, nightmare that could come of this. I would think. Right. I well, would hope. There, uh, but but as I say, you know, look, the reality is there's no scandal that um, that these animal groups seem to be unable to weather. Um, you know, and so basically, they you know whether they're killing 95% of the animals that come into their supposed shelter or whether they're, um, you know, whether they're working with USDA to get smaller cages or whether they're, um, you know, uh, rejecting veganism as a moral baseline in, in the many ways that they do. Whatever it is that they're doing, they seem to get away with it. Uh, and I guess that's in part because of the fact that people don't read much anymore, um, and um, there isn't much, you know, un- unfortunately, our ability as as human animals to reason critically is um, getting worse and worse as time goes by, in part because people aren't reading, and in part because um, they uh, sit in front of a screen all day long and 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 don't, you know, the... the, the, the I mean, the ability to sort of think critically is just dissipating, and um, you know, and it's it's unfortunate, but it's a reality. I mean, it's you know, it's it's um, all of this information. All you know, we're living at a time when human beings have more access to information than they ever have had before in human history. I mean, it's just phenomenal the access to information that we have, and and what's happened in the past. 25 or 30 years has been revolutionary and what have we done to it i mean you know look at the look at the internet and it's like 70 percent of it is pornography and and garbage like that and um and and instead of making us more intelligent by giving us greater access to information and and to you know, you know, giving us greater access to information, it's it's reduced our ability to think critically in very serious ways. And so it may be the case that um, you know these animal groups they realize that it really just doesn't matter what the hell they do, as long as they say they're an animal group and as long as they put out their little pictures of doggies and kitties and whatever they put out, um, and and you know as long as they're as long as they're pumping out the pictures. And as long as they have a slogan. Oh, I, and I just got a text today, just uh, from HSUS earlier today, with the, uh, you know, the cute little puppy in the cage. To uh, what was it? Uh, let's see. HSUS. It's uh, it's Day of Giving. Every dollar, uh, every dollar raised today will go toward fighting puppy mill cruelty give now so i get i get this today and i'm looking at this story on they want small smaller cages in puppy mills so 
is is today's donation to HSUS uh, against puppy mill cruelty uh, for bills that uh, allow smaller cages in puppy mills? I mean, um, well, I, pres- <laughs> presumably the I, um, uh, I I don't know I, I I don't know I mean it's 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 all very strange. But look, we have lost our ability to think critically. We've lost our ability to think critically, and and um, this is just. It's unfortunate, but it is the way it is. And, um, you know, uh, uh, it's, you know, what, what's, what's as, I, as I say, what's sad is, you know, we could really be, um, we could be changing society dramatically given the access to information we have and the ability to communicate, because that's another thing, too, is that, um, you know, it was the case um, after I wrote Rain Without Thunder in 1996 and the large animal groups decided that I was a bad person because I was criticizing their endorsement and promotion of welfare reform. And, um, you know, I was basically frozen out because in order to communicate with other animal people, you had to be part of you had to be supported by these groups and you had to get your message out through the groups. And um, so, so basically after I wrote Rain Without Thunder and everyone was remarkably unhappy with me, I think it was a really engaging book. Unfortunately, many people disagreed. They disagreed. They didn't like the substance. And, um, and what, what happened was because of the internet, I was able to start the abolitionist approach and to and to, to, to get the abolitionist movement going. And that was only as a result of the internet. I mean, I couldn't have done that without the internet because before, I mean, I, I think a lot of the, the folks who are part of, you know, who are young enough to sort of basically remember nothing but the internet, you know, I mean, it, 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 it can't appreciate how difficult communication was. I mean, do you remember, Bob, you know, in the 1980s, you wanted to talk to people, basically. If you wanted to get a message out, if you weren't part of, I mean, you had a radio show, okay, so you had, you had a voice, but the rest of us were sort of stuck in, you know, well, I mean, you know, if I wanted to get my, my message out about the problem of animals as property or the, the problems of, of sexism in the movement um, or the problems of animal welfare reform or whatever, I had to get those out through the groups. And once the groups decided that I was speaking too much about those topics and they were going to shut me down, um, then, you know, I was unable to communicate with animal people. So for several years until, um, until I got uh, onto the Internet and started getting my, my message out that way, I was relegated to, you know, giving talks in universities and colleges and stuff, and that was fine. I enjoyed doing that, and I used to do the occasional radio show and the occasional television show, and I used to get my, 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 my work out, but I couldn't get it out very broadly. Now I can speak to thousands of people whenever I want. I couldn't do that before. And, and so it's unfortunate that we have this great access to information, and we have, an, we, have, we have reduced the cost of communication dramatically. People, I mean, it, it, in so many ways, the Internet is just such a marvelous, marvelous thing. Um, but, but instead of making us, making us more critical thinkers and more effective communicators, 
And I, it's done that to some degree. I mean, I, 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 you know, I'm really, I marvel on my page because I see, you know, every day uh, more and more people uh, becoming very effective abolitionist vegan communicators and going out and doing stuff and reporting back about how they're, you know, talking to this group and that group and how they're getting this reaction and that reaction. So it's wonderful to see and it's great to see that some people are taking advantage of it, but for the most part, um, animal people don't. And um, it's unfortunate. It really is it's sad. So I don't know. I mean, HSUS may be just taking the position that, to, oh, you know, we, we're getting some benefit from this and the downside will be, you know, will be de minimis because We'll just deny it. We'll just say, you know, no, we didn't do that. We didn't. We didn't promote smaller cages. It doesn't really matter. What you know, it's just we'll just say what we're going to say. And well, it's uh, it's it's going to be hard to deny it. So so in this article in the Valley News in um, in Vermont, so so first it quotes uh, somebody uh, Sue. Uh, I got her name uh, Skasku, uh, director of the uh, Vermont Volunteer Services for. Animals Humane Society um, was interviewed by this newspaper. So she said, quote, nobody who has a cat or dog is a beloved companion animal would ever confine their animal in the way that this bill allows. So that was her quote. And then they spoke uh, this article. The, the writer spoke to Catherine Finney, executive director of the Vermont Veterinary Medical Association, uh, who gave testimony to the House Committee on Agriculture and uh, Forest Products uh, regarding the bill. And her quote is, these changes will provide humane investigators with a more specific checklist and measurable standards when they review cases of alleged animal cruelty. And we strongly support passage of this bill. So that oh, okay. All right. So now, now, all right. So now, I'm, I'm, I'm getting the, I'm getting the idea here that basically this is being supported because it makes things more enforceable and more easily enforceable. On the other hand, why couldn't they have had more easily enforceable standards where the animal got more space? Well, that's uh, I don't that's that that's that's a pretty good obvious question, right? <laughs> right there, right? Yeah. So. I mean, send, send me, please send me, please email me the 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 link to that article that you just because that will help me get into into this a little more. But but it it sounds like that you know if if that's if if HSU has supported that they supported it because um the because the 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 the, the idea was that these standards will make it easier for enforcement. On the other hand. Um, says who, and and <laughs> why? Why would why would HSUS? I mean, let's assume that 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 was the position of USDA. Well, the position of you know USDA is nothing but a shill for the for the the research community and the other other communities that exploit animals that are regulated by the USDA. And well, I you think know, it was introduced. I think the bill is from a, a vivisector, somebody who's yeah, well, an animal I mean, researcher. Yeah, well, that doesn't that. That, that that look the USDA <laughs> the, the USDA um, uh, you know is is a is a perfect example of what we call agency capture where the you know the agency is captured by the entities that it is supposed to regulate and you know it's a fairly fairly common phenomenon and a number of people have written about it over the years about how these regulatory agencies end up for a variety of reasons becoming captured by the by the the industries they're supposed to regulate so the industries they're supposed to regulate basically dictate um, what these groups will what these these regulatory agencies do 
and and um, and there's a lot there's a lot of reasons for that, but um, uh, one of which is these regulatory agencies generally employ people who are part of those communities and who will eventually, after they leave, they leave government service, will return to those communities. So they have they have they have vivisectors, you know, uh, who are working at the USDA, who will, after they finish um, their work at the USDA, will go back to academia and and continue to torture more rats or whatever. And um, so there's all sorts of reasons why there's agency capture, but the USDA is a perfect example of an, an a regulatory agency which has been captured by the the industries that it's supposed to regulate. And and so to say, you know, so so the fact that the USDA wants something, um, it basically tells me if you say the USDA wants X, then I assume that the USDA wants X because the research community wants X or the mm-hmm. exhibition community because you know the animal welfare act covers a bunch of things but 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 whatever let you know let's let's keep it simple that the regu- that the vivisection community wants x the, the question becomes there was obviously a reason why HSUS sought to involve itself in in the USDA's quest <laughs> i don't mm-hmm. understand that I, I don't understand maybe i will call uh, HSUS and speak with them um, not, not that they'll be any more receptive to my call than they would to yours, but um, well, I just called out of the blue, and you know, as as a John Q. Public there, and just uh, said, "Hey, hey, what about this? I'm hearing about this uh, where HSUS is supporting smaller cages, and the person at HSUS thought I was uh, out of my mind that HSUS would never do that. So she's probably like." Uh, freaking out now on like uh wow this is this is pretty amazing hopefully she'll resign well i i would be surprised um i think you need to get to uh to get a little bit higher i don't know i will let you send me the, send me the article and i will um i, I, I sent you the article yeah i just i, I just sent it to you so okay yeah. great so, okay, great well that's that's good but you know, look, it's a strange, yes, indeed you did. It's a strange world, Bob, that we are living in. <laughs> no <laughs> it, doubt. It gets, all, the, all the way. <laughs> well, you know, look, I mean, the, the animal movement has collapsed. I mean, it really has. It, it has absolutely collapsed. And, and um, you know, it's been heading in that direction for a while. And I remember, you know, in, in, the, in the mid-'90s when I, when I was doing the work, when I was, you know, really intensely involved in the rights versus welfare thing, I basically said that if things continued as they were continuing in, you know, in the 1990s, when it was a lot better than it is now, I mean, it was a million times better, but it was, you know, I thought it was getting bad. And I said, you know, if this continues, the animal welfare or the animal rights people, the animal, the animal movement, whatever the hell you want to call it, the animal movement will become indistinguishable from the exploitation community. And um, that's exactly what we have now. I mean, I, I never realized it would get this bad. And I had a chapter in Rain Without Thunder where I started it off with a bunch of quotes from, quote, animal people, end quote, and from animal exploiters. And I asked people to identify whether the comments were made by animal people or animal exploiters. And the whole purpose of the exercise was 
um, I, I assumed that I would get them to give certain answers that they would, you know, the, and they would see that those answers were wrong because they would assume that certain comments were made by animal people. In fact, they were made by animal exploiters, and that um, they would see that certain comments they thought were made by animal exploiters were in fact made by animal people. And I was arguing that um, if the rights welfare uh, distinction, uh, you know, if, if basically if animal if animal people continue to pursue animal welfare eventually because animal welfare is the is the is the the paradigm of animal exploitation animal exploit animal exploiters embrace the animal welfare ethic and and i argued that at at some point in time the movement would become the the animal exploitation for now, you know entity and the animal movement would become indistinguishable and they have been. they've become they have become indistinguishable so we have totally totally see it that way exactly that way mercy for animals i mean they're all egg salesmen you know they're eggs they're eggs they're flesh salesmen you know i mean what's you know i mean it's it's a movement of egg salesmen of of you know it's it's all totally indistinguishable Um, it is it it, 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 it is the industry the the animal rights movement is the industry now? There's, there's. Exactly. Look at exactly. how much money. You're, you're exactly right. It is the industry, and you know all of these groups: HSUS, Mercy for Animals, Compassion Over Killing, you know the Humane League, all of these things. Farm Sanctuary. They are all basically, you know, appendages of the animal exploitation industry. PETA. I mean, you know, they, they they're all this. They're all basically the same sort of, and there are. There are there are differences amongst them, but the differences are largely, as far as I'm concerned, insignificant. And and um, that's what it's become. It's collapsed. The movement has the movement at that level is collapsed. But on the other hand, it, again, as I've said before, that should not be a surprise. That you know that that you you expect that because because these people are running businesses. And you know they've got to bring in money, uh, and so they therefore they have to keep their their position um, fairly moderate. And 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 what they do basically is they you know they moderate their position to the point where their position position mm, sorry position becomes indistinguishable from that of industry. And that's what we have now, which is why I keep saying, and I keep saying again, I'll say again. If you're ever going to have movement, it's got to be outside the the structure. The revolution will not be tax deductible. It is not. It's not going to be that sort of phenomenon. It is going to be a moral awareness which spreads. And you know, and and the interesting thing is, is that that's that's not only possible, but the internet. Is off. I mean, it's so sad. We have this fantastic opportunity right now to communicate like we've never communicated. Imagine, Bob. I want you to imagine for one second. Imagine if all the animal people in all these groups and all the groups themselves, if they all started promoting a clear message of veganism. Imagine what would happen. Imagine what these these. Imagine the. Power that these people could have in terms of spreading that message, and what they do, they have hoofing it, 
and they, you know, they celebrate big farmers as, you know, as, as vice presidents. We, or, we can't promote veganism when, when, when people can eat cage-free eggs and, and, right. and we can have smaller cages for dogs. Like, right. I mean, let's... So, so, I mean, in a sense, you know, in a sense, what, what these folks have to confront, at some point, they had a great opportunity. They had a really great opportunity to really change things for animals. And what did they do? They went for cage-free eggs, crate-free pork, happy milk, and other forms of happy yeah, and, eggs. And now the, the big broiler campaigns are coming. It looks like millions of dollars pouring in for broiler campaigns, two mercy for animals and compassion over killing. I, I haven't even seen those campaigns yet, but the money's coming to them for them. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and there's, look, there's no doubt. This is, this is a disaster. It's a complete disaster. But you know what? It's... It's it's sad, but the only thing we can do, you know, it's like everybody, every every person out there who feels disgusted by this, you know what? The hell with all of them. Get your own, you know, start spreading your own message. Educate yourself and then go out and educate others. And and let's turn the you know, let 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 let's let's use the tools of 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 mass education that we have and get the message out there in every way that we can. And you know, instead, I mean I, I look at you know, I mean it's like it's like I, I I um somebody sent me some YouTube video from some person who was like, I don't even know who this person is. I've never heard of this person and 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 the person's basically saying, well, you know, Francione says we ought to have, you know, veganism as a moral baseline, but that turns a lot of people off, and we ought to be this, and we ought to be that. Okay, fine. I mean, you know, it's like, it, 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 this, this is how people choose. I mean, it's, not, it's no surprise that people are going to choose to get a message out that, that is in conformity with the pro, you know, the, the large groups and the pro-exploitation position, because those those groups like HSUS and Mercy for Animals and stuff, they've got you know they got like a lot of members. They're they're very these are very cult like organizations. They they discourage rational thinking, so they don't want people to think. They don't want people to you know they don't want people to to to, to engage in reason. What they want them to do is sort of you know is 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 recite the mantras. You know, it's not the world's not going to go vegan overnight. We don't want to be divisive. We don't want to turn people off. Everybody's on a journey, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, they have these mantras, very, very cult-like. Um, and so, you know, this is what's going to happen. But, but we can either, uh, you know, we can either focus on that or try to get a, uh, an alternative message out about veganism. And, and we can do that. I mean, you know, we, we, we need to do that. It's our responsibility to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, mean, I would just like people to see that with all the millions pouring into these groups to to promote um, animal products and uh, smaller cages, why waste another minute with them? You know, why 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 send them another dollar? Why why participate another minute? I, I run into so many people who you know deep down inside they 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 felt bad about promoting cage free eggs, but they did it because they thought. They were supposed to. That was the movement, you know. But, but Bob, and it's like, Bob, Bob it, this is not surprising. I mean, think about it. Um, you've got these big organizations, and the peop- these organizations are run by people who are 
deified. Have you ever been to one? I mean, I, I, I know you've been to the Animal Rights Conference, the so-called Animal Rights Conference um, that Farm that farm puts on every year. Yeah, and, my, my talk was officially condemned. Of course you know, I was there. You know, I mean, yeah, and I was told I would never be invited back again. Oh, <laughs> horrors. How will I live? Um, and and uh, But you see the way, the you know, the, the adulation, you know, the people who run these groups are treated like rock stars. And, okay, um, and so, so people end up supporting cage-free eggs and cage-free pork and all this other nonsense because... The, the, you know, the rock stars tell them this is what you, you know, this, this is what's best for the animals. And these people are by and large, you know, nice people and they want to help animals and they don't feel, you know, they're, they're, they, you know, they don't, they don't necessarily have a lot of confidence. Um, and, and, um, and so, you know, they've, they've got the experts, the so-called supposed self-styled, self-appointed experts telling them what's in the best interest of animals. So they go out and they promote it. And I agree with you. I've met zillions of them who say, you know, I was a supporter of cage-free eggs for a while, and I couldn't, you know, now, now I, I can't figure out how I was, do, why I was doing that. But I also understand not only why they support it as members of these groups, but I also understand why the groups promote it, because think about it. They're looking at it from a purely economic point of view. You've got people out there who want to continue to eat eggs, who want to continue to eat cheese, who want to continue to eat meat, you know, want to drink milk, who want to eat ice cream. And those people are grateful when the so-called self-appointed, self-styled experts come along and say, oh, you can keep doing that. Yeah, you can keep doing that. You, you, that's right. You don't, have to, you don't have to change. It's okay. You, know, you certainly don't have to go vegan. But, you know, you keep, keep eating that stuff. You know, reduce it a little, little bit, with the, whatever the hell that means. But, you know, yeah. reduce... Reduce your consumption a bit. Um, buy cage-free. Buy crate-free. You know, buy a himsa milk or whatever the hell, you know, whatever nonsense. And so people say, yeah, that's great. I'm grateful for that. They're grateful, Bob. People pay for what they're grateful for. Sure. Okay? Yeah, and Joe, Joe Maxwell used to talk about how, what a premium he got for his, uh, for his bacon. You know, exactly. And how he, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, because, he, because there he is. The vice president of HSUS selling his pork. Well, hell, you know, if you're going to eat pork, you're not going to get better, right? And so, 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 this, this is, a, it's a business. You know, it's a business. And so, mm -hmm. and, and, and it's, an, it's understandable, Bob. People pay for what may, you know, what they value. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a, a, a trivially true statement. They pay for what they value. And mm -hmm. so, when somebody says to them, you care about animals? Ah, you don't have to go vegan. Those people are preachy. Those vegans, damn it, they're preachy. Because remember, I just had a big argument with a number of folks about this, this, this British thing called Carnage. You know, and one of my objections, I think it's a very reactionary film, and one of my objections is, you know, is that the guy who made it, you know, it, it, I mean, I was watching him on an interview, and he was saying he thinks vegans are preachy. Well, you know what, I'm sick and tired of that apologetic nonsense the fact that the fact that you know that 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 are taking a position that veganism is ju is a matter of justice and that we don't do not have a moral justification for the the suffering and death of 60 billion land animals and a trillion sea animals and an absolutely obscene obscene uh, 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 display of violence and to say that you know that to object to that makes you whiny 
sorry, I don't agree with that. I think, I think that's really problematic. But so, so you've got these groups saying, no, nah, you don't have to go vegan. Those vegans are a bunch of whiners. You want to go on a journey, that's fine. You want to take 30 years to get to be vegan, that's great. You never get to be vegan, just reduce what you eat. People say, I value that. Because I want to keep on eating that cheese. I want to keep on eating those eggs. I want to keep on eating that pork. I want to keep on eating that ice cream. And, and, and these groups then will say also just, you know, they don't even say vegan. They're, they are saying vegetarian. So, you know, if I you mean, look exactly. at... Uh, they have, they, I mean, the, the word vegan is, is, is not used by many of them at all. And, and to the extent that they use it, they use it in, in ways which I think is, is, is actually counterproductive. But um, they use it in, in they, they denigrate veganism, actually, for the most part. And, um, and the ones that don't, basically presented as, a, as just one of many ways to reduce suffering. But the bottom line is, this is what people want to hear. Think about it, Bob. Put yourself back to, you know, to before you became a vegan. Before you became, I mean, I, I, when you were younger, did you, when you were, when you were a, a, a complete carnivore, did you like animals? Did you, were you sort of, um, you know, moral, you know, emotionally, like, did you I, like I loved animals all my life from reading, even in elementary school, reading books about animals. I loved animals all my life. Okay. So, so at some point in time, imagine that you start like becoming uncomfortable about eating animals because you really care about them and you start, you know, putting two and two together. And, you know, and despite what Melanie Joy says, it ain't invisible. It's, you know, the, 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 the ideology of animal exploitation is, is anything but invisible. It is not invisible at all. It's very visible. It's the ideology of animal welfare. It's the ideology of speciesism. It's the ideology of anthropocentrism. It's the ideology of they matter less than we do, and we can, can exploit them as long as we do so humanely. That's not invisible. There's nothing invisible about that. It's quite visible. So, so you know, you start thinking about it, and you start thinking, gee, you know, Maybe, maybe I don't buy into that whole sort of scene of animals matter less. And, and, you know, and even if I think they matter less, should I really be just killing them for gratuitous reasons? And, gee whiz, you know, this is all sort of troubling. And then someone comes along and says, Bob, Bob, you're a good person. You care about animals. You really do, don't you? Yeah, I do. Well, you know, Bob, you don't have to stop eating them. But, you know, you can play your role. Reduce it a little bit. Maybe, maybe go meat free on Mondays, and 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 on you know, and, and on the rest of the days, go and go to Whole Foods and get yourself some level three, you know, eggs or you know, level two pork or you know, whatever nonsense. And, and you know, and and you're you're trying to sort of figure out what the morally right thing to do is, and then some expert from one of these groups comes along and says, Bob, you know, somebody from the Humane League comes along and says, Bob eat cage-free eggs. You know what you do? You take out your wallet and you give them a donation because they've just given you something valuable. It's called a moral pass. Mm-hmm. That's what it's all about. And yeah. so, you know, it, it's, we ain't going to change that, Bob. We're, we're, they've got a business model. It works. They make tons of money. Yeah, I, I just I just don't know what was wrong with all these people who wanted larger cages. I, I just don't know what was wrong with them when all you know they they should be for smaller cages. So I don't well, know. No, it's, um, it's it's it, my guess is 
that most animal people don't know anything about this. Hell, I didn't think until you told me tonight. I wasn't aware of it. Um, and so, well, I, I think it should be interesting. I'm, I'm interested in the reaction from people. So suddenly the turnaround, it's like when they, when there was the turnaround, like all these groups were against, uh, uh, furnished cages, modified battery cages. And then, then they were all for these cages. And now it was like, Hey, I always thought we were, uh, you know, we were for bigger cages. And now, now we have to be for smaller cages. Oh, okay. All right. I'm with you. Think about it from HSUS's point of view. They got away with making a pig farmer vice president and now director of the legislative fund. They got away with hoofing it. They got away with Proposition 2. They got away with all of this stuff. You know, it ain't, it ain't affecting them. Yeah. And so at some point in time, you got to ask yourself, do they really care? Do they really think they're going to take a very big hit because they're supporting some USDA nonsense about you got to make cages smaller so that we have better enforceable standards? I mean, as I articulated, <laughs> I'm just it just strikes me as being idiotic per se yes. because you can have standards which are measurable, which are which are e as easily, if not more easily ascertained as you can have smaller you know smaller cage size so you can have larger cage size and still have ascertainable standards so this idea that you got to have smaller ones to make them ascertainable is quite frankly um we're not on the radio right this is a this is a, a no, web we are we're, we're still on the radio yeah no, no, i understand that but we're not this is not going this is a pot this is pot this is not over a a a fcc right uh, okay then i can say such a position is bullshit. Mm -hmm. And and I don't mean to denigrate the feces of bulls, but I mean the idea that in order to have to have ascertainable standards, they have to be smaller cages is just plain bullshit. And it's so, amazing. It's it's mind boggling, you know. It, it is. really is. I mean it uh yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's it hard is, to figure. It is, it is, but but they've gotten away with worse bullshit. So so the fact that they have this form of bullshit, who cares? Yeah. So in, the end, in the end, Bob, um, it's what I keep saying all the time. They got a business model. They ain't, they ain't going to depart from that. It works. It works. It works. They like it. It works. And, and so, you know, and I think, you know, the I, I mean, look, I'd like to think, you'd like to think that animal people are going to be outraged when they hear this. And the answer is some will be. But their core won't be, because if you think about it, those are the same people who believe these groups when they say, you can continue to exploit animals by getting cage-free eggs and crate-free pork and happy milk and all this nonsense. So those people, those people are not going to gainsay the folks who are selling them the indulgences. You know, I don't mean, you know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, pop your balloon in terms of like, my God, what are the animal people going to do when they find out about this? The answer is what they do when they find out about hoofing it. Some people got very upset. Many didn't. Mm. What, you know, what happened when they found out about Joe Maxwell at the helm of HSU as a vice president, they got a pig farmer, an active pig, pig farmer. I mean, it's not that yeah, he was a... Who, who kills 50,000 pigs a year. Right? So, it's not mm -hmm. that he was a former pig farmer. He's a 
present pig farmer. Mm. What, what did people do? Nothing. You know, yeah. what happened when, you know, when, when HSUS got involved with Whole Foods and started formulating their, their animal welfare standards? Which was a horrible thing to do, and, and, and you know, and supported by not only HSUS, but Farm Sanctuary and Mercy for Animals and PETA and Viva and, you know, a number of these other groups. I mean, what's, what are we talking about here? You know, I mean, it's like people didn't, you know, people, some people were angry. Some people were upset. I'm sure they lost some, but, but for all of the people who happily give them their donations, so that you know the you know the popes can declare that it's perfectly okay for them to continue to you know to to you know to to consume animals, you know, and and issue their edicts from the you know the Church of Animal Exploitation. They're going to keep giving their money, you know. They're going to keep giving their money because they're getting what they want. So there you have it, Bob. Yeah. Well, I'll be uh, curious as to. You know your your exploration of this subject yeah, when you I'll, look I at it, and I will explore and report back to you. But yes. um, but anyway, well, listen, I will see you. No, no, I will hear you next Monday, and I hope you have a good week. And remember, try not to be too shocked by what the animal groups do, because um, it, it, you know uh, if you allow them to shock you, you will be in a state of perpetual shock. Oh yeah, I was I was expecting a campaign for smaller cages and any day now. So here it is. No, no there surprise go, to me. There you go. So, there you go. Yeah. Anyway, I'll talk. I'll talk <laughs> to you next Monday. Okay. Thank you, Gary. Talk to you then. Bye bye. Okay. All righty. Well, I think that uh, just about does it. Time for Daisy to take a walk. And yeah, uh, look at look at the size cages they have for the smaller animals in vermont but uh oh well what can you do you think you've uh, seen everything and then along comes the smaller cages for dogs campaign from the humane society of the united states so there you have it um i don't understand any of it all i know is uh the answer to every question is uh go vegan okay so we will talk again next week oh i am so looking forward to sunday i'm going to go to vegetarian house in san jose so uh ah, okay i think that'll help me get over the insanity of uh what we've discussed during this program so okay well i want to thank you for listening and again please support us you can subscribe uh we have the uh, patreon thing going on and the regular old donation button at GoVeganRadio.com if you're interested in supporting uh, the vegan cause. Okay, thanks for listening.